1: We now know what it's going to take to keep the Indians in Cleveland, and it's a big bill. It's the first thing we're talking about today on This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with regulars Laura Johnson and Jane Cahoon, and today, to talk about the Indians, we have Courtney Astolfi, who's been doing some very good work explaining this deal to everyone. Happy Friday, everybody.
0: Happy Happy
3: Friday. Friday. Yay. (laughs) <laughs>
1: okay, let's just get right to it. What will keeping the Indians in Cleveland and renovating progressive field cost the taxpayers? Courtney, I, I'd been throwing around numbers on this podcast all year. I was way under what this is going to cost.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a big bill. You know, uh, it looks like the public is going to be footing about two thirds of the $435 million deal with the Indians kicking in about $150 million. Now, this money comes out annually over the course of the 15-year lease, but that's a lot of public money.
1: So, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack on this. I, you know, first thing, I bet nobody can answer this question. What did it cost to build Progressive Field? Did it cost 435000000 million? I'll bet not. I'll bet it was or, or close to that. Anybody know? We'll have to figure that out. So, so the city and the county are footing the big part of this bill. The state did kick in some. And what what I was wondering as we headed into this is how does the annual payment from the taxpayers in future world, if this is approved, compare to what we've been paying all along to for this baseball stadium? And we did get that answer yesterday.
2: Yeah, so... You know, the county's still paying down bonds from the original construction, and it also sets aside syntax proceeds to pay for major capital repairs at the ballpark and the arena. I believe the Gateway Chair, Ken Silliman, said it's about 4.5 in syntax revenues we see every year that's set aside. And then, you know, the county budget director said in a recent meeting that the, the, the Remaining bonds from the original construction, which are set to be paid down in 2023, in recent years has been about five mil from the county. But we've got some more uh, crunching of numbers we need to do in that category.
1: And and it's going to be 17 million now, so it's a significant increase. Although, if you figure in inflation since that ballpark opened, I I don't know if you could say it's exactly out of whack. An oddity. Can I add in here? Yeah, this Johnston. is Laura
0: Johnston. I just looked up Cameron Field's story. So, when it opened in 1994, it took two years to build. The cost was 175 million dollars. The 48% <laughs> funded through taxpayers, 52% through former Indians owner Richard Jacobs.
1: Well, and let's. Face I mean, it. that
0: was 1992 dollars. Right. So to
1: build it now, it would cost a billion dollars. I mean, that's what they're they're paying elsewhere. An oddity to this whole thing is the Gateway is a joint city county project, but. The ownership of the arena is Cuyahoga County. The ownership of the baseball stadium is Progressive Field. But when we did the arena deal four years ago, the city kicked in more money than the county. And now the county is paying more than the city. It's kind of wacky.
0: Maybe that was part of the discussion. Maybe they're like, hey, I got you last time. You get me this time.
2: Well, and I think part of it, too, is the city internally. You know, no one said this yesterday, but the city's balancing the tab. They have to pay for the Brown Stadium, which isn't part of this equation. And, you know, that responsibility falls to them, too. So maybe, you know, that's part of, of their math.
1: And the the team is is says it's putting in a significant amount of money. Uh, this is not like the arena deal where they kind of redid the entire fan experience from when you walk in the door, when you're walking down the hallways, the whole wayfinding. The previous version of the arena was a confusing mess where you really couldn't eat a hot dog anywhere. People put their plates on top of trash cans and they redid the whole thing. This this looks, based on your reporting, Courtney, like they're going to do major overhauls in sections of the the stadium to change that experience. So talk a little bit about what those changes are.
2: Yeah. So, you know, a big one is going to be the area on the lower concourse along left field. Right now, a lot of that space is eaten up by the Terrace Club, which has been there since the ballpark opened. It's like white linen, fancy. Nobody wants that from baseball games anymore. Or this is what the team says. And so they want to really open up that area perhaps figure out connections between the levels. So there's some vertical connectivity on the front um, part of the stands facing into the baseball diamond. That's a very interesting idea. And they the teams implied that that would be an area, perhaps, for, for you know just general admission seating, not necessarily a premium space. I will caution that a lot of these details have yet to be finalized. These are very preliminary plans. So a, a lot of the nuts and bolts of this could change depending well, on let,
1: let me let me stop you there the the numbers aren't aren't very uh foggy i mean they came out and said a lot of money right so why aren't the plans more concrete
2: yeah that's a that's a good question mark it seems a little bit like this is a pot of money from which the indians can pull from without maybe necessarily hard figures lining up to specific projects I, i'm not sure though
1: where will the accountability be to make sure that they actually do the work that they're proposing? Well,
2: I I mean, I don't know that there's a formal proposal yet. So uh, as far as, you know, architecture plans drawn up, engineers brought on board completely, they're not quite to that point yet. All
1: right. So, But they're asking the city council and the county council to approve this don't you think council member well maybe not the county council cuz they're just cheap but don't you think the city council members who are facing re-election will say hey we need some detail about what our money's paying for
2: uh 100% i think this is going through the ringer hardcore when it when it gets to the desk of city and 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 county council too i mean they've got to bring out the details to those folks in a different way than they did at their shiny, happy press conference. yesterday. Oh,
1: Courtney, name me one time. The county council has shown any kind of rigor in 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 reviewing anything. And that that, that county council has been an argument against county reform. Let's uh, let's talk about the upper decks, because that sounds interesting. They've blocked all those upper decks off because they weren't selling the seats. But now they're talking about a major transformation that could be kind of nice.
2: Yeah, it sounds like an interesting concept. So the big thing that caught my eye in talking this over with team officials was an idea for a walkway that opens up, again, facing into the baseball diamond that could run the whole length of the upper deck or at least a good portion of it. And that would let people, kind of like you can down on the lower deck, walk around the park while still keeping your eye on the game. They're also talking about the areas in the upper concourse more on the left side of things, really opening up a lot of those spaces so that when you're standing anywhere on that upper concourse, you can look one way and see into the ballpark, look the other way and and see city skyline views. Now if we're talking about the right side of upper of the upper deck, you know that area, all those seats up there, everyone knows those don't really those don't get filled or used most of the time. So they're kicking around a couple ideas on how to better use that space. Not nailed down concretely, but perhaps some bigger social spaces, gathering spaces where you can kind of sit down, have your beer, keep an eye on the game, or perhaps they said some park-like features in that portion of the ballpark. So that's really preliminary too, but they know that that's a problem that they want to address.
1: Okay. The, the, the nice thing is, is that I think people are still pretty, pretty happy with that ballpark. When you're sitting there on a beautiful night, as Jane Cahoon does regularly, it's, it's a fantastic experience. So starting over would kind of destroy what Cleveland has grown to love. Renovating that stadium, making it more modern seems the way to go. You're listening to this week in the CLE if we use the controversy surrounding the renovations to the Cleveland Arena four years ago as a guide, what can we expect in the form of a political battle on the proposed renovation of Progressive Field? Laura Johnston, four years ago, it was a mess. I mean, facts stopped mattering. It just became all about the perception. It almost didn't happen. And absent uh, then Congresswoman Marcia Fudge coming in to instill order, it might not have happened. We're again in the middle of city council races and a mayoral race. What do we think is going to happen here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We put together a story. Alexis Oatman wrote it yesterday about just kind of reminding people of the timeline. Because once you, you know, this has happened, so much has happened since uh, 2016 when the idea was first floated that you forget that this was really controversial. And there was referendum petitions drawn up to get Cleveland to like take back. It's part of the financing. The city hall refused to accept them. It went to the Supreme Court of Ohio. And so this fight was nasty. And actually, the Cavs withdrew for a week. They said, "Okay, never mind. We can't do it. Before, you know, there was a lot of behind the scenes wrangling. And, you know, all of a sudden it was happy. And they promised to address some of the issues that the opponents had brought up. Like, why aren't we spending more money on basically the poor and vulnerable in Cleveland. So they promised centers to deal with, you know, diversions for crime and, and
1: right. drug addiction so, and stuff. So 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 looking forward. What so do looking we think forward, the
0: Greater Cleveland Congregations, which was number one in that fight, says they aren't going to take a position on it. So that that was the biggest block there. And they said they always believe the public money should be committed for the greatest public good, but they're not planning right now to protest. And uh, we talked to Peter Patakos, he's a lawyer who was one of the folks who took that to the Supreme Court, he, he issued a statement kind of damning the idea, saying he disagrees with elected leaders giving out handouts to wealthy business owners. But I don't okay. know if that's going to turn into something.
1: So Jane Cahoon, last election cycle, Jeff Johnson and Zach Reed were candidates for mayor, and they were part of the effort to to get other things done with the arena. They were blocking the deal. What are we what are we hearing from the mayoral candidates so far? It's not a lot because they're trying to figure out their (laughs) strategies. But but Seth Richardson, our political writer, did try to elicit it.
3: Yeah, he touched base with the candidates and he actually got kind of a um, generally supportive sentiment based on the fact that they think this is going to create a lot of uh, economic activity for for the city. Dennis Kucinich didn't comment, he needs more time to review it, so you might expect him to be the one who's going to raise hell about this. But most of the other ones, I mean, they, they still wanted to know more, but uh, the, as I said, it was generally kind of a uh, supportive sentiment.
1: Well, it's a, it's a little more dangerous, I think, to mess with this than with the arena because the Indians, soon to be guardians, are such a beloved institution. And if the voters that, that care about the Indians, and it's certainly not every Cleveland voter, uh, were to think that the candidates were risking the future of the team, they might not take that well. So they've gotta be careful about it. But these candidates are all trying to get attention. And mm-hmm. this is an issue that could get them attention. It would be very easy for somebody to stand up and say, how can the city and county pay $18 million a year to a baseball stadium when they could use it for infant mortality or eradicating lead paint or installing broadband?
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: then the, the the politicians have to be on their toes to be able to deal with that.
3: What do you think council's gonna do, Chris? I'm not as well, you know, into that.
1: The incumbents on council are scared because there are a whole bunch of progressives out there, more so than we've had in the past hosing them, saying they don't do anything, they don't care about the neighborhoods. And so I think the incumbents are going to be very, very anxious trying to figure out which way to go. And you know, the easiest thing for them to do if they want to be populist is, look, I support the Indians, I support everything about it, but this deal is a problem. I don't understand why we have to put this kind of money in. Couldn't we use X money? Or I mean, they could start to make it about the specifics of the deal instead of the philosophy of supporting the Indians. But I, you know, I do think if anybody stands up to, to say, Hey, we need lead paint, we need infant mortality, all the things that we, we know are dire needs. The, ca- the city has not spent it's $250 million that it received this year in stimulus, which makes no sense because everybody in office now could be out in five months so you'd think they'd want to spend it now they haven't and i i think that what's happening is they're waiting to see if there is controversy then kevin kelly the council president who's running for mayor can ride in on his horse and say okay (laughs) i'll spend money on all that stuff and i'll save the indians and look at me i should be your mayor Let's see. Wait and see <laughs> what happens. That's your prediction, right? But no, it, I don't know that the this will go through what the uh, the arena deal went through. I just think the potential is there. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. I, it's a lot of money. It's a, a, a extraordinary amount of money. But look, look, we all know you can make very strong arguments that the return on that investment is greater than the investment. All those people coming downtown. All those people going to restaurants. It, that there is the Indians are. Beyond a doubt, an economic generator. They claim inflated numbers, but there's no doubt this is good for Cleveland. And come on, Jane Cahoon, you go there; you spend almost half your summer there. What would it do <laughs> to the psyche of Cleveland to lose that team?
3: Uh, I don't even want to think about it. I'm yeah. kind of a cheapskate, though. You know, I bring in a water bottle, and I, I don't like buy a lot of stuff there. <laughs> but but you have and, to and, park. and
0: Peter Pete Kraus wrote about this: the idea of you know council people taking up this banner and that, that the idea of the indians that they could leave is a threat that is always hanging out there that it's not going to be the first thing that happens but um and then Cameron Fields put together a, a list of all the mlb stadiums that have had recent renovations or built and there's a there are a lot worse deals out there there are better deals but there are a lot worse too with public money a lot of times goes to these things.
1: This isn't as good a deal as the arena deal, because no. in that deal, the team put in more than half the cost. That was the arena deal was at the time we wrote about it, the best deal in America. The, the cabs really stood up. The, the baseball stadium is a much more expensive facility. We'll have to see what happens with the politics. It's going to be a very interesting fall. You're listening to this week in the CLE. How did Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost add to the mounting challenges for Sam Randazzo? The man chosen by Governor Mike DeWine to lead the Ohio Utilities Commission who had had to resign in disgrace after we learned of a $4.3 million bribe. Jane Cahoon, what's his new nightmare? (laughs)
3: Well, Dave Yost already had a civil suit going against First Energy and now indicted Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder and others who were accused of being involved in this House Bill 6 bribery scheme. But on Thursday, he said he was going to add Randazzo as well as the fired CEO of First Energy, Chuck Jones, and another former executive, Mike Dowling. Uh, to his lawsuit. Yost wants a Franklin County court to order Randazzo to return this $4.3 million first energy payment that, as you said, the company admitted was a bribe, as well as his public salary while he was the PUCO chair. Uh, The the amended lawsuit accuses Randazzo and the First Energy executives, the former First Energy executives, of engaging in extortion, money laundering, coercion, intimidation, and an attempted cover-up. I should say that those three have not been charged with anything, and Randazzo and Jones have issued public statements vehemently denying that they did anything wrong. But uh, Yost wants them to help pay any damages that the court orders in the case in addition as i said to randazzo returning his his salary and first energy money in 2019 randazzo made a little over 110,000 as the um, PUCO chair. Um, Yost also wants to dissolve two of Randazzo's companies. The the ones First Energy said it paid the, the bribe money to. So he said we need to hold these bad actors accountable. So, yeah, uh, I mean,
1: uh, as the as the evidence mounts up I and mean, it's clear, Sam Randazzo did bad things. And I, I love the fact that Dave Yost is going for the pocketbook here, saying this is ridiculous. You should not profit from it. And let's not forget Rentazzo got 22 million dollars in total from First Energy. You know that that you wonder about. So this is a this is a fun case. I, I love to see that development because that's actually representing the people, right? I mean, you're you're finally standing up to say no, no, no. This kind of behavior cannot stand. I'm not even waiting for you to wear the orange jumpsuit.
3: So. A more cynical person, Chris, would say that uh, Yost loves to get a headline, but you know.
1: And you know what <laughs> For this I'll give him a headline. <laughs> You're listening to this week in the CLE. What was yellow zoning in the Cuyahoga County Jail and why has the sheriff ordered it halted Lord Johnston I I had heard everything about red zoning I didn't know about yellow zoning. <laughs> it sounds like it's a good thing it's not going to happen anymore.
0: Yeah, this is one of those that you're just like, what were they thinking? So this is a method of locking down inmates that the officers union said was unsafe and actually prohibited by a 2014 arbitration decision, but it it had been used for a month. It was supposedly this private program, pilot program, where they were trying to strike a balance between the lack of staff at the jail and letting inmates out of their cells. So basically, you're overseeing two pods at one time. One is locked down. One is not, which just seems like a recipe you know, for total danger and violence. So they, they filed a grievance. The union filed a grievance and the sheriff said, OK, we can stop. But um, I can't believe this went on for a month.
1: Courtney Astaffi, I, I the, the sad thing is what this means is they're all in red zone lockdown instead of having half walk around, even though that was incredibly unsafe. You, you did a lot of stories back as people were dying and you've done a lot of analysis of the mismanagement of the jail. I'm sure you're you're disappointed to hear the red zoning is bad. It sounds like the big problem is they don't have enough corrections officers. And I'm betting it's because they just don't pay enough money to get people to come work in that jail.
2: Yeah, this is really concerning. We don't want to go back to the severity of problems we were at just a few years ago. All hands are supposed to be on deck at the county to get the jail in the place it needs to be safety-wise. And it makes you wonder, here we are three years later from that huge spate of deaths in 2018, and and how how much progress have we made? Some. But obviously, the problems are still lingering. It's... But,
1: but 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 you could argue that one of their biggest obstacles in hiring guards is pandemic based. Everybody is having trouble hiring. So you could argue, let's use some of our stimulus money to give an extra fifteen thousand dollars a year to jail guards to, and pay them a, a decent rate to attract high quality people, as you know. As you and your colleague Adam Parise have written, they've attracted some pretty lame candidates that have had to be fired. Why not just pay them more money? Didn't you did some stories about this at at one point? Weren't they among the lowest paid?
2: Yeah, they of the big cities in Ohio back in twenty eighteen. I'm pretty sure they were the lowest of the big counties in Ohio. You know, after. We called that out, and there was, you know, more talk about it publicly. They raised the wage, the starting wages for the CEO significantly, but they still struggle to recruit since then. And I can imagine the job market at the moment doesn't help in an area where they were already struggling. And, and the other thing we have to think about here is the way the jail's constructed now, according, you know, to officials and designers and people who have studied this. You need an inordinate number of staffing to keep a proper eye on inmates. And that's a, that's a big reason why they want to build a new jail. Your, your, your staff to inmate ratio goes down in a way that they, they can't do that at this current jail. So you're left with this poor option of locking everybody down or what seems to be an even safer, unsafer option of yellow zoning where you're locking half the people
1: down. But look, the thing is every time something goes wrong, you know, they pay millions of dollars in lawsuits. So They spend a little bit now to get better guards and more guards. I mean, to quote President Joe Biden once again, pay them more. That's the simple (laughs) answer.
0: I mean, I feel like that's the answer to a lot of the society ills, right? I'm just going to throw in this number that was an Adam's story. It went from a high of 705 guards in February of 2020 to 597 on Tuesday.
2: You know, I want to point out that a big chunk of the CEO's salaries last year was paid for using nearly half of the county's CARES Act dollars. So we're not even talking about a raise beyond it. They just used the federal aid last year to pay for their existing level of wages.
1: Yeah, but the, but what my argument is that that by not paying them, they, they squander more money later yeah. on unnecessary lawsuits that there's a clear path and it's you invest on the front end and you don't pay on the back end. I, I don't understand why Armin Budish, the county executive, doesn't fix this. This is been his I mean, he's done a lot of incompetent things, but this is number one when he runs, if he runs for reelection next year, This is going to be high on the hip parade. The deaths there and the fact that he cannot fix it. I just it's it's mind boggling that he wouldn't put all hands on deck to make sure this place runs efficiently. You're listening to this week in the CLE. What might President Joe Biden's announcement about accelerating the switch over to electric cars and trucks mean in Ohio? Jen Cahoon, you're going to talk about Lordstown, which I still think is a scam. But (laughs) let's go there.
3: Yeah. So Biden on Thursday signed an executive order that sets a goal of making half of all vehicles sol- sold in the United States zero emissions by, by 2030. He wants the U.S. to be a lead producer of electric vehicles. And um, his administration is also reversing some Trump administration rollbacks of fuel efficiency and emission standards, starting with model years 2023. Um, so, what does this mean for Ohio? Uh, you know, uh, in addition to Lordstown Motors, which you know obviously there's been some doubt cast on their viability to produce the electric uh, pickup truck, but but they are still out there. You know, General Motors has partnered with LG Chem of South Korea to invest more than $2 billion in a car battery factory in Youngstown for electric vehicles. And we also have Workhorse Group Inc. in Loveland that makes electric delivery vehicles. So, so those are two you know, other significant um, things going on here. But I think the success of all this is going to depend on us moving to a point where electric cars are practical to produce and drive. So that means having a nationwide charging network and and probably incentives for people to buy the cars and and for the manufacturers to to produce them we're the US is really behind on this you know electric vehicles comprise just 2% of the vehicles sold in the United States way behind other countries
1: yeah. My problem remains that the batteries don't get you far enough and it takes too long to charge them for driving around town. It would be great. But, you know, we had a we spent a week in Maine earlier this summer. And if I had an electric car, I would have had to keep stopping and waiting for a long time to charge the battery because it would have yeah. ta- we would have exhausted it probably three times. That's not going to work. We got to come up with some kind of system where you can you can travel, and I don't. I agree with you. We're not quite there yet. But yeah, I think it's...
3: that this huge infrastructure bill that the Democrats want to pass, in addition to the bipartisan one, would pump a bunch of money into things like electric charging stations, and you know, maybe really get that infrastructure up to par.
1: Okay, you're listening to this week in the CLE. What is going on with Spirit Airlines? How hard is its massive cancellation of flights all week? Impacted people heading out on vacations from Cleveland. Laura Johnson, I don't think there's much that's more depressing than being all geared up to go away, to have a week away from life and zone out and relax and have your flight get canceled
0: yeah. travel can be so frustrating. And, you know, it's with the pandemic headaches, it's, it's and shortages. It's just so much worse. So Spirit canceled fifty two percent of the Thursday flights by early afternoon. That was a fifth day in a row with major problems. They canceled flights to Orlando, Atlanta, Myrtle Beach, and Fort Myers. So you're right. These are not people that were bringing their laptops on vacation with them. Um and Spirit's one of the the largest at hopkins. and And so far, they've blamed weather, which I'm sorry. Maybe it was weather somewhere else, but not not here this week. System outages and staffing shortages. And Susan Glazer wrote about this. There's a travel writer. She said this is becoming really common at this point in the pandemic because airline workers are trying to accommodate this increasing number of travelers after their depressed demand. So they're trying to balance everything and like everything else we talk about shortages. So, I, I, but I don't, five days in a row of this, that's awful.
1: Yeah, I, I, it seems suspicious to me. I, I mean, the, to say that it's weather, it's like, that's like the old fall fallback. And we've all sat in airports while they canceled our flights for weather and go, come on, I can see the radar. There's no weather. Uh, I wonder if it's really that they don't pay their staff as well as the other airlines, and so they can't attract enough Maybe. workers to do it. We did hit a record in the U.S., a, a post-pandemic record for the number of people going through airports. Uh, a lot of people seem like they're trying to head out for... Uh, decent vacations, but man, that would be depressing to be all ready, have your family ready to go. The kid's all excited and uh, be on standby for a couple of days to figure out a way to get there. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Let's end it there. What are your weekend plans? Courtney has left us, but Laura and Jane, what are you going to do this weekend?
0: Okay. I'll go go first. (laughs) So I turned 40 right before the pandemic. And I always planned to have like a summer 40th birthday party. So even though I am now 41, we rented out the local city pool to have a huge 40th birthday party with water slides and floats and
3: all of that stuff so that's what i'm wow
1: well happy happy belated <laughs> birthday
3: good for you happy birthday laura um we're gonna hop in the convertible and take a drive doesn't that sound like fun it does Actually, you it won't does. be at an airport <laughs> right?
1: yeah, I mean, we've had this just incredibly wonderful weather for the last week and a half it's like the payback for the very wet july i hope you continue to have that kind of weather Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. We'll be starting special episodes tomorrow. Our interviews with the Merrill candidates, you'll see them pop up in your Apple podcasts and elsewhere. Give them a listen. Let us know what you think of them. We'll be back Monday for another roundup of the news.